KTOY Sunday Show, your weekly forum to discuss the issues in our community. Brought to you by Derek McGarry, State Farm Agent, here to make your life go right. Here are your hosts, Philip O'Donnell and LaMoya Burks. You are listening this morning to this, the Sunday show with LaMoya Burks and Philip O'Donnell. It is the third Sunday in January, and we welcome you, our listeners, to this edition of the Sunday show. KTOY Radio 104.7 FM produces the Sunday show. We bring it to you live each Sunday morning from 9 until 10 a.m. With the COVID protocols in place, we regret not being able to welcome your calls as our guest have the phone lines tied up. They are not in the studio. Now, I'd like to put this little disclaimer out there that the views and the opinions expressed on the Sunday show are ours, Philip and LaMoya. They should not be misconstrued as those of Texarkana Radio. All right. Last week, we had a great show. We begin with Miss Vacasa Walker. Am I pronouncing her name correctly? I thought it was Vasia or something Vasia. like that. Yeah, you, know? you are correct. <laughs> Vasia Walker from Running WJ Therapeutic Riding Center. Miss Walker is a Nashville native, a UAAF graduate and champion for individuals with special needs. Uh, Running WJ Ranch provides education and training for students, social interaction, and with financial support doesn't turn away those unable to pay. Um, again, just as a disclaimer, if you reach to whisk, uh, reach out to Miss Walker, her phone number, she can be reached at 903-838-3223 or 214-929-1059. In the second segment, we welcome the president of the Greater Texarkana Branch of the NAACP, Professor Robert Jones. In addition to promoting the MLK Martin Luther King virtual programming, which will be held Monday, January 18th at 1 o'clock p.m., we did discuss the fitness challenge, which is scheduled. March 7th with efforts to disenfranchise voters, especially in black and brown communities. And the NAACP supports the second impeachment of our president, uh, Donald Trump, for inciting the January 6th insurrection upon our nation's capital. All right. Those were some impressive guests. We had a great show. It was kind of cool. Um, other than the crosstalk panel, this was our introduction to working together. So yeah. very pleased with it. We're going to take a, a quick break. Um and this was a big week in in black Greekdom amongst the sororities. Uh, you had the Deltas, the AKAs, and the Zetas all celebrating their Founders Day. And as we go into the next week, it's yeah. kind of a big deal because for the first time, a black woman or a woman, period, or a child of immigrants, period, is going to be uh, inhabiting the, the uh, well, not the Oval Office, but a heartbeat away from it. <laughs> Of course, I'm talking about the MVP. You can uh, you can refer to her as Madam Vice President in case because some folks still can't pronounce Kamala. I would like to think that at some point after having run for president and all this time that she's been a senator and, you know, very prominent in, in California politics, that people still mispronounce her name. And I I'm, think I, I've been seeing a trend that I think that's going to help. There are shirts that have a comma and then it says law across the top of it yeah so i i think that with that in mind i think that 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 gives you a visual yeah i hope so so it's going to be a black girl magic kind of show um with that said before we go to break i want to i want to i'm gonna this quote may come up throughout the show and i'm one of those people who believes that whenever somebody like kamala harris gets in the office there were people who came before her that kind of paved the way for that to happen and I'm not just talking about women's suffrage movement, people like Susan B. Anthony. I'm not just talking about Hillary Clinton. I'm not just talking about Sarah Palin or Geraldine Ferraro. And if you don't know, I just named a bunch of white women. <laughs> OK, I'm going to talk about a black woman who did some stuff that you may not know about. But I'm going to quote a lady named Shirley Chisholm. 
And if you don't know who she is, she was the first black woman member of Congress. She was also the first African-American and the first woman to mm-hmm. run as a major party candidate for president of the United States. Mm-hmm. And this was before a lot of you guys were born. This Absolutely. was 1972. Um, her being elected into Congress, I want to say it was in the 68, 70, we're right in that, in that, in that time frame. But definitely a big deal. And, you know, we're talking about Founders Day. I got to admit, she's also a, a sister of Delta Sigma Theta sorority. So um, her comment is this, her quote, I rather, is this. Tremendous amounts of talent are lost to our society just because that talent wears a skirt. And she had one other quote of my two handicaps being female put many more obstacles in my path than being black. Now, with that said, we're going into the show. We're going into Kamala Harris's administration. We're going into a lot of stuff. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, LaMoya is going to introduce our first guest. You don't want to miss it. The Sunday show will continue with Philip O'Donnell and LaMoya Burks. Brought to you by State Farm Agent Derek McGarry on Texarkana's 104.7 KTOY. If there's one thing 2020 has shown us is that life can take a turn without notice. And through it all, we want you to know we are still here to help you just as we've always been. If you need to review your coverage or just need some advice from people you know and trust, we will always be here to help. After all, isn't that what you'd expect from This is State Farm Agent Derek McGarry. Please call us at 903-831-2000 or visit us at DerekIsMyAgent.com. KTOY is making 2021 your best year ever with a bucket list trip to Juneau, Alaska. Alaska. You'll explore breathtaking glaciers, fjords hundreds of fathoms deep, and feast on wild-caught salmon. Five days of awesome adventures and world-class accommodations on your bucket list trip from Travel Juneau. Ready to start packing? Register at Flint and Crawford for the bucket list trip to Juneau, Alaska. From the station going to the coolest destinations. KTOY. It's a new year. It's double-digit savings store-wide. It's the sale of sales. It's Ivan Smith's half-off sale. Hurry in and find select mattresses. Half off. As low as $2.99. Matching sofas and love seats. Half off. Now as low as $3.38. Select items at Ivan Smith Furniture are at their lowest prices ever. This matching sofa and love seat. Half off. Only $3.69. Prices are slashed. Items are ready to go. Now during the half-off sale at Ivan Smith Furniture. This is store for details. When you look local first, you help local businesses grow and employ more locals, providing direct benefits to our local economy. At Ashdown Dental Clinic, Reese Lunsford and the team understand how anxious you can feel with a visit to the dentist. They take your whole well-being, not just your teeth and gums, as important as it should be. They provide an individual, holistic solution because everyone is different. If someone you know is experiencing mental health problems, Community Health Corps can help. Contact us at 1-800-4-INTAKE today. For immediate help, contact our 24-7 crisis line at 800-832-1009. Ivan Smith Furniture has exactly what you're looking for. Living room, bedroom, dining room, kids' room, office, even outdoor furniture. Plus mattresses, accents, and entertainment centers. Financing, delivery, online bill pay, and so much more. Ivan Smith Furniture with locations in Texarkana, Hope, and Atlanta. To help your local business community grow, go to looklocalfirst.com and click on Texarkana. 1047, Jim and K-Toy.
Now back to the Sunday show with Philip O'Donnell and LaMoya Burks. Brought to you by State Farm agent Derek McGarry on Texarkana's 104.7 KTOY. And we are back for this edition of the Sunday show with LaMoya Burks and Philip O'Donnell. And with us, I am very excited and honored to have our first guest this morning with us we have dr lauren robinson uh who works for christus uh saint michael mm-hmm. uh lauren uh, dr robinson are you on the line i am indeed Lamoya. good morning good morning i i mean i i'm just astound it's just astounding the work that you're doing uh in the medical field um we just want to take a moment to allow you to introduce yourself to the texarkana area Sure, thanks, and good morning to you, Philip, as well, and it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so I am uh, relatively new to the Texarkana area. I moved here about a year and a half ago from Philadelphia. Um, I'm a physician by training and had worked in public health as the Deputy Secretary for Public Health for the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, I moved to Texarkana a year and a half ago to serve as the Vice President for Medical Affairs at Christus St. Michael Hospital. Um, and, you know, when I took that role, the, the, the goal was to um, increase our, our physician recruitment uh, to look at safety and, and quality outcomes at our hospital. Uh, and then three months later, COVID hit. And, you know, we thought COVID was going to be no big thing. We thought it was going to be just a passing moment uh, in history, uh, probably to look at more like a month than a year. Uh, but in that time, um, I've taken responsibility as the medical lead for our incident command for the response uh, for COVID-19 planning and preparation and response at the hospital. And so, as you can imagine, it's been a, it's been a very busy year. Uh, it's lasted longer than I thought it was going to, but uh, it's a pleasure to serve um, our community and make sure that the folks in our community are getting the care that they need. Now, Dr. Robinson, that was a good introduction, but you kind of left out some pieces that I want to hear. And, and, and <laughs> large let me tell pieces, you large. Um, a lot of times people, <laughs> they reach a professional stature in life and people can't identify with them or can't relate to them because, you know, you, Dr. Robinson, who make a lot of money and cute and sit up there in the, in the big office and, you know, <laughs> I want some young girls to be able to understand where you came from. So talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about Duke and Spelman and, and, and life before you reached the stature of where you are now. Sure. And I mean, I think I think mentoring is one of the biggest things that you can do and the biggest gifts that you could give back to the community. I was, uh, you know, I was determined to go to college no matter what. I wanted to go to college far away. Uh, and, and, uh, and an older sister in our community told me about Spelman College. Um, and when she told me about Spelman, she's like, you know, this is a, a college built for you. It is a college for black women exclusively. Uh, and at the time, I was like, why would I want to go to school with a whole bunch of girls? <laughs> and then I started looking into the legacy and the history and the heritage of Spelman College and about all of our HBCUs. And I was just like, wow, there's a space just for us to thrive and flourish. And this is before folks coined the term black girl magic, but just to know that there are of women and men who have come before us to sacrifice and achieve educational excellence and then reach back to mentor to encourage us to go to our historically black colleges and universities um, was amazing to me. And so I, I took a big a big chance and went far away from home for school, but I don't regret it at all. Um, loved being at Selma College. I'm on the board of trustees now. 
the youngest ever uh, alumna trustee and then have been moved to the full board of trustees within the last year. And that's been just a pleasure to serve and to be able to give back at a larger level. Um, and when I was at Spelman, I was thinking, what's my dream? What do I want to do? I knew that I wanted to help people, but you can help people in so many different ways. Um, and I decided that medicine was my path. I wanted to, to give people the gift of health so that they would feel well and feel good about themselves and be able to achieve whatever dream they wanted to do, um, which is why I pursued medicine. Um, I went to Duke for med school. Um, it was not a crystal stare. I applied to med school twice. Uh, preparation is key. I can talk at a different time about making sure you study for these big exams. Um, but, you know, my path at Duke um, had continued to, to help me achieve excellence um, and to highlight things that we've known in our community forever that have existed, which are health disparities. And to think about how do I make an impact outside of the exam room? So I love seeing patients, and I still love clinical care, but there's so many more pieces. And, you know, the, the COVID-19 crisis has highlighted health disparities in a way that we have known forever, but that people um, outside of the black community are starting to understand better um, and be willing to address and take a moment to listen and think through actual solutions. And, and I think that's why my path to medicine and my path in public health and healthcare administration uh, really is dedicated to addressing health and healthcare disparities and thinking about, you know, not only just talking the talk, but walking the walk. What do we do to address it? Wow. I, I mean, I'm just blown away. Again, so excited to have you here in our area. Speaking of uh, health, here, Texarkana sits a, a little bit more rural. Uh, there is a lot of expansion going on in the city as far as economic development. Um, but I did notice, um, as we were preparing for today's show, uh, Rural America shows that the top leading causes uh, for greater risk of, of death include, and I'm sure you're an expert with this, heart disease, cancer, uh, there's the uh, unintentional injuries, chronic lower respiratory disease, and stroke. Specifically, Chris's Health uh, did do, I guess you would call them focus groups, um, a whole case study, and many of those same things came listed 1 to 12 on the list. What do you think can be done here locally to improve the health of rural Americans? You know, I think, I think it really starts with communication and listening. I think that when, when a person goes to the doctor, unfortunately, you know, or fortunately, doctors have a lot of knowledge. They have a lot of things that they've learned in books. They have a lot of questions kind of in their mind in advance to think to ask patients before they walk in the room. And I think the most important thing that, that doctors can do is when they go in a room, just press pause and to listen to their patients and to ask them, you know, what are the, what are the number one, how, is your health important to you? Or what, what about your health is important to you? If you could be healthy and you needed three things to help you be healthy, tell me what they are. And a lot of times it's not just blood pressure medication or, uh, you know, having a surgery or something like that. Folks will say, you know, I can't afford my medications. Medications are expensive. And I will tell you for sure, physicians have a lot of time, no idea how expensive these medications are. And so you'll see someone with high blood pressure and say, I know they need three or four medications. I'm going to write this script, and then they're on their way. And the doctor's like, well, I feel like I did my job. I diagnosed them with high blood pressure. I gave them blood pressure medications, and my job is done. But they have no idea how expensive these medications um, add up to. And I think the other part of it is a lot of times when you're learning, you learn about this disease or that disease. And a lot of times folks have more than one thing going on, just like with life. So you might have high blood pressure and diabetes. You might have high blood pressure and a history of COPD. And so all of those medications can add up to a lot of things, and people end up picking and choosing 
what things they're going to be able to pay for that month. And so I think physicians need to know better to listen to their patients, listen to the things that are, are contributing to them having good health or poor health, and then working in a partnership way to figure out how to address those issues. I think as we think about kind of the cost of medications, that's a conversation that uh, physicians, I think, need to take to D.C. and lobby and say, hey, look, I can't take care of my patients if you all charge these high prices medications. That's our responsibility as, as physicians. And then I think as patients, we have to be empowered as a community to tell the doctor what's going on in our lives. So often we have this stigma about the stresses or the things that are going on that we don't want to tell the doctor about. And it'll be very difficult to get your diabetes or your blood pressure or your COPD under control if you have these other things in life that are negatively impacting your health. Let me ask you this, Dr. Robinson, and, you know, the more I listen to you, the more I like you. And I, I'm just going to say what I'm sure some people are out here thinking. I'd love for her to be my doctor. So it sounds like you do a whole lot of stuff that's administrative and at the higher level of, of the how the hospital functions and this COVID response and whatnot. But can people see you as a patient? Can you also kind of get to go into the room with patients? Uh, I wish I could. So this time I'm not patients. I think with the, especially with the COVID crisis, that, that in and of itself, I think, is a full-time job. We need to investigate that, I think, as health systems. You're going to need someone managing that full-time. Uh, but I'm not seeing patients right now. But I think in this role, uh, the way that I can impact patients' lives is to recruit physicians to our community who right. care about our community and who look like our community. And so I think some of that means going out and recruit folks who are already doctors. And some of that means, you know, talking to high school students in our area, you know, yes. going to all of our local high schools and saying, are you interested in being a doctor? This is what it means. This is how I can support you getting there. Um, because, you know, I think a lot of times people get their MDs and then go to work and come home and that's all they've got time or energy for. But there's so many other folks in the pipeline and the pipeline is still our elementary, middle and, and, and high schools. Now, Dr. Robinson, I was just blown away. Um, I, being a researcher librarian, I did do my extensive background search on you. I am just blown away. I noticed you had an experience with C-SPAN and the late John Lewis. Can you talk to us about those significant experiences? Yes. Yeah, so I... Um, <laughs> You know, I, I, so when I was in Pennsylvania, I was really passionate about the work about black maternal mortality. Um, and, and fortunately, it just happened to be at a time when a lot of people were raising their voices. And again, eventually people were listening. And so in Pennsylvania, we were able to pass legislation to establish a maternal mortality review committee, meaning a committee that looks at all of the women who died as it relates to childbirth and figure out what's going on. Again, in our community, we know a lot of what's going on is that there is there is real live and active racism. Um, and because I'm in healthcare, I speak about, about racism in healthcare, and that's, that's kind of what I'll talk about today. But that, that is a very real issue. And so for so long, people have said, oh, it's because people have underlying conditions, or this person was sick, or after they had surgery, they had a lot of bleeding, and that's why they died. And sometimes that happens. And it's important to be able to address those things. But we know that racism plays a role, an active role. And so I had done this work in Pennsylvania, and so I got an email from someone who was like, well, can you come uh, to D.C. and testify? And I was like, who is this person? And I looked it up, and it was one of uh, the late John Lewis's staffers asking me to come testify. And I was like, sure. And, I, and he gave me the dates, uh, and the, the date that he gave me was actually supposed to be 10 days after I gave birth to my son. Uh, but God had other plans, 
and my son ended up coming two and a half weeks early. <laughs> and so I turned out, uh, I was about three weeks, from, three weeks from delivering my son for the date that I was supposed to be down. I was like, well, you know, this, this is a big deal. And I think, you know, it's an honor to be able to testify uh, before Mr. Lewis, but I think the the big thing is that we need to elevate our voices. We need to hear from black women. And um, we need to hear from black women across the spectrum. I think I am privileged to have my MD and have the resources to be able to go down and testify because I had my mom able to watch my son for that day. My husband was off. And so it was very easy for me to hop on a train, go to D.C., or relatively easy, and testify. But so many black mothers can't. Um, and so I took it as this is my responsibility to my sisters in this country to talk about um, the work that I was doing professionally and a little bit about my personal journey as, as a black mother, even though I was only three weeks in, through my pregnancy and my delivery. You know, you think that I would have received this optimal gold standard care where it would have been everything was perfect. Um, and that's just not how it went. And um, I wasn't surprised, but I think that, you know, the the hospitals were surprised. I think my doctors were surprised to hear that this is what my experience was um, because they made assumptions. Now, there was a doctor recently who died of COVID and she was a black doctor. And prior to her demise, she commented upon the, the, the unjust treatment that she felt because the white doctors who were treating her they just saw her as another black person they didn't see her as a black doctor so any any thoughts or comments about that experience because it seems to relate perfectly to what you just commented on with your issue with maternity with uh, m- maternity yes yeah, so sister sister susan more sister dr susan moore um, we have a, a Facebook group of uh, black women doctors. We're called Mocha Medicine. Um, and Sister Moore had actually shared her video with us a few days before. We said, Sis, you need to take this viral. You need to make this public. You need to share this across all platforms. And we'll share it, too, because people need to hear this. Um, I think a lot of times, whether it's the general public or physicians, think that that MD protects you. And it really just doesn't. Because at the end of the day, uh, they see you as a black woman. And, and for her, I don't know if you all saw that. The response of the CEO of the Indiana Health System of that of Indiana Healthcare at IU, he said, "Well, you know, uh, it could be, you know, this is bad and, and systemic racism and all these things." And it was actually an excellent response until he got to the point where he was like, "Maybe the nurses felt um, intimidated by such intimidating black women who was yeah. advocate." <laughs> Imagine it. I, I was like, "You don't have anybody in your office to read over your stuff." <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that, that's that's just not an excuse. And to always say, to, number one, we always say, you're there to serve the patient. I've had people come in wearing Confederate flags, and, and I have taken an oath to first do no harm and to serve patients. And so I have to put my pride aside, you know, unless somebody acts crazy. Yes. Uh, and ser- serve and take care of people. And from her video, you know, yes, there can be challenging patients. Yes, she probably had demands. But they had a responsibility to hear what she was saying. And her, her, her video was about um, her having pain and her pain not being addressed. And I can't, it's, it's incredible to me because they've had published studies, which is what doctors you know, love to quote and respond to, about that um, doctors think that black patients have less pain. They think that doc, black patients don't need pain medications. And that's a new and recent study. And so for them to not respond to her concerns and not address her pain uh, is concerning and is reflective of uh, probably healthcare in America and the fact that we have work to do 
and uh, I'll have a job for a long time because I don't think in my lifetime we're going to resolve it, but I plan to work toward that goal every day. I got you off subject there. I apologize. I'm, I'm bad about that. Let's talk a little bit about COVID. Um, and, and in particular, we're almost a year into this and things are getting worse. I don't know what you mm-hmm. could say to our listeners that would be different from what's already been said. I don't know if you can comment on what we're seeing or if the new strands are here. But I see it because the, the, at the VA, the the population of has doubled of COVID patients in the last week and a half. So, I mean, talk about mm-hmm. what needs to be stated or how it needs to be strenuously stated if it hadn't been stated already, because things are getting worse and it's almost like, why? Yes, no, I think, Philip, I appreciate that question. So COVID is indeed getting worse. Uh, we thought that, you know, everyone's looked for 2020 to end. And, and, you know, when that ball dropped or when it hit midnight for 2021 to come in and everything <laughs> magically be better. And then this first month has acted a fool. Uh, and <laughs> so, you know, I've seen our numbers. When I was talking with some of my colleagues in the hospital. We talked about, you know, last March and April, we said, we don't know what we're going to do when we get 20 patients in the hospital. We have 20 COVID patients. We're just not sure how we're going to handle it. I will tell you, um, we had gotten up to 88 COVID patients in the hospital. Um, you uh, would just not believe uh, the amount of time and resources and the strain that that puts on your healthcare system. So we have what are called rack nurses. So nurses from across the state of Texas and across the country who have said, I want to volunteer to go and work in these areas that are hardest hit by COVID. And so we have nurses in our community who come to the hospital every morning and then leave every afternoon. And then we have a second shift that come overnight that help with our nurses just because there's so much strain uh, with this incredible number of COVID patients. The other thing is that we need ventilators. We're not at a, we're not at a, uh, a shortage of ventilators. We're not at a shortage of staffing. Um, but it is, it is stressful. And, you know, with anything with like flu season, flu comes, you have a lot of flu patients that come in the hospital for probably three months at a time. And then those numbers go down and you can kind of get some rest. People get better. The challenge is that everyone is working all the time at their hardest. And so, um, it begins to impact your staff. And so then you start seeing staff who are out with COVID-19 or staff who are hospitalized with COVID-19. Um, I do think that there is promise. There's some therapeutics we have at our hospital. We do have the monoclonal antibody therapy, uh, which is that therapy that the um, outgoing president received and seemed to rebound so quickly. Um, I was skeptical at first, but it does seem that that monoclonal antibody therapy uh, for certain people does wonders and they heal uh, very quickly. Um, And now we've got the vaccine coming into our community. And I think that is uh, remarkable to me just because I have colleagues all over this country um, that have just not had the vaccine arrive in their communities yet. And I could not believe how quickly that vaccine got to Texarkana. Good to know. You're going to be the main speaker at the uh, NAACP's virtual program on tomorrow. Um, that really was why we brought you onto the show. So we can't not talk about it. So I know you don't want to tell them, our listeners today, what you're going to say tomorrow. But just something in general about MLK. Uh, and, and I mean, this when I looked at the flyer, it says of all the forms of inequality, injustice in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. I had never heard that quote by Dr. King. Talk a little bit about the virtual program, if you don't mind. Sure. And, you know, I think that's the thing that so many folks don't realize. I think civil rights touches so many areas. And I think 
a lot of people think, oh, MLK and Black Lives Matter, it's about law, um, which is a huge piece of it. Uh, but if you don't have your health, you are not going to be able to advocate for yourself. You're not going to be able to march. Uh, you're not going to be able to post. And so I think that's why, you know, so many years ahead of the time when we were even talking about health disparities, uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was saying, this inequity is huge. And it's, and it's really embarrassing that here in the United States that always tries to tell other countries what they're doing wrong and what wrong with their health care systems um, that that exists so um, vividly in our system. Um, you know, our program tomorrow is, is, you know, celebrating the history and the legacy of his life and, and thinking of all the things that he has highlighted and, and left for us to do in this legacy, this mantle of leadership that he has passed on. Um, you know, the, the fierce urgency of now, what do we need to be doing uh, to make sure that we're honoring his legacy and also in establishing a legacy for the generations coming behind us? Now, I'm impressed by the fact that this is not a Zoom call because that calling and getting Zoom and downloads and all that, some of us that struggle with technology, this is just a live Facebook post, right? So, yes. I mean, people can, can easily join in. I mean, do you recommend that people get on a little bit before 1 o'clock tomorrow? And, I mean, just what it, how, what's the, the specifics of how they plug into this? So they can watch either on uh, Facebook Live or on YouTube on the NAACP's uh, YouTube channel. Um, I, you know, I, I recommend Facebook Live. It's easy to get to from your phone or from your computer or from wherever. Um, you know, sometimes there are technological difficulties even in 2021. So I, I will definitely be trying to tune in a little bit ahead of time to make sure that I can get on. Um, but, I, you know, I think it's, it's, there's, it's been a blessing through COVID-19 that we have Zoom because I can't imagine how we would have made it through this last year without these um, long distance and virtual capabilities. And so I think it's connected people across um, geographies, across time zones, across countries. Uh, I'm sure my mom will be tuned in from New York. <laughs> uh, she's a very proud mother, so she is all about uh uh, supporting me and so it'll be great that we can kind of share this across our area and beyond our area to know that Texarkana is doing great things and we have great people here um, and so I'm just um, extremely honored to be able to speak tomorrow and, and to continue the legacy of uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and to continue partnering with our, our local organizations that are doing such great work. I want to revisit this HBCU thing in, in light of the fact that, that Kamala Harris is going to be entering uh, as the, the vice president of our country on Wednesday. Um, and I want to approach it from something I think you kind of touched on earlier. If you compare a predominantly white institution to an HBCU, the HBCUs outperform them and it's not even close in terms of the product, the people that they grow and the positions of power that they kind of reach. And it's interesting because despite what the numbers bear out to be the truth, the perception is that the HBCUs are inferior. Talk about that as an insider, if you don't mind. You know, it's funny to me because when you see folks who will say, I mean, I had people when I said I was going to spell it, who were like, oh, you're never going to be prepared for the real world and you're not going to do this. And I'm like, this this woman is about to, to basically be the, the, the leader of the free world. And, you know, I think the, the, the magic of a historically black college and, and university is that um, you have so many people holding you accountable for um, this whole you can't forget where you came from. I'm not sure if you saw, but uh, Sister Kamala Harris definitely took the time to um, connect with her sorors on her Founders Day. Absolutely. On 15th, she took the time not only to post on social media, but they had a Founders Day program and she was on there she is proud of where she came from when she had that when she accepted that nomination 
she said where she came from. And I think that's the thing that HBCs, HBCs do for you. Um, and there's this expectation that you continue to give back after you leave. And I think those are the things that are these intangible benefits that if you just look at numbers or if you just talk to someone, people may not know about. Um, but there's there's a duty there that uh, that people carry with them. Um, and then, you know, I think it, again, gets back to, I hate to keep saying the same thing, but I just think systemic racism. We've been taught to think that black is not better or black is inferior or black is not even as equal, which is why people are like, well, that school can't possibly be as equal to a, a, a predominantly white institution. And, you know, before, you don't want to talk about superiority. We can just say equal to. Um, but I only know where I came from. It's just the, the way that my college poured into me and the way that my sisters continued to pour into me and to prop me up and give me such support, but also tell me, like, hey, sis, you've got to do better. Hey, we expect better. Hey, reach higher. Push harder. Um, and I think that that support is something that there there is no monetary value that you can attach to. I'm, I'm, we're running over time a little bit, but I can't <laughs> not talk about this. One of the quotes that Shirley Chisholm gave, and I see her as a predecessor to Kamala Harris. I think if she hadn't done the things that she did then, we wouldn't have the MVP that we have today. But one of the quotes that she has is that tremendous amounts of talent are lost to our society just because that talent wears a skirt. Women such as yourself in the medical field are becoming quite commonplace now. So it's almost like what Shirley Chisholm is saying is, man, this is a double whammy being black and then being a woman. But they treated me worse because I was a woman. So what what are your experiences? I don't know. I mean, I've lost listening to people like Jocelyn Elders, who was formerly the Surgeon General. But, you know, obviously my perspective is going to be different because I'm a guy. So talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Yeah, you know, I think as as black women, we've been we've been together as black women, and I think uh, we have, as a community, realized that's the only way that in this country we would have survived. There's no way as a as a race we would have survived slavery um, if we did not um, band together and support each other. I think that um, in white communities um, there have been uh, probably different stressors. Um, and, and yes, they banded together to get themselves the right to vote, um, but they they didn't have the stressors that had to push them together and that their survival was depending on each other. Um, and because we have done that for centuries, and, and obviously probably before slavery, um, when we were on the other continent, um, I think that there is this expectation that you kind of support and lift as you climb. Um, and I think that that is something that... Um, all black women. Now, you might have black women who don't um, subscribe to that and decide that they're going to do it on their own or they, they don't want to. But if you ask them, they are at least aware of the concept. I think in general, um, white women don't have that as a as something that is kind of hammered into their head or talked about. Or if you look at their histories, um, there aren't as many examples of them banding together and supporting each other. And I think that that's why that is so different. Um, and, and I would say that um, the networking in the black community, like if, I, if I'm reaching out to somebody who went to HBCU or to Spelman, um, that support is so strong. Uh, whereas I think uh, within the, the female community, the women, women community, women physicians, um, 
that is a smaller group that I think sometimes could be seen as, oh, this person is my competition, and so I'm not going to help them. Um, but I think time and time, again, will show, I mean, since biblical days, that that, that perspective um, probably isn't going to get you far, and that cohesion and supporting and lifting as we climb uh, is the way to go. Dr. Robinson, we obviously could have scheduled you for the entire show. Yes. And so in <laughs> saying that, I'm, I'm going I'm to let you know that we're going to try to get you back, especially in light of this COVID crisis, but that that big engagement tomorrow, our listeners can engage with you and hear what you have to say. One o'clock, Facebook Live or the NAACP's YouTube channel. But also, was there anything that, that you wanted to address or say that we have not asked you? Let's kind of give you an opportunity for some closing think, comments. I don't think so. I appreciate uh, Lamoya and, and Philip. I appreciate you all uh, inviting me here today. Uh, you know, I would say that we, uh, and I look forward to partnering with you all and, and being back on the show, but as we start thinking about this COVID vaccination, I do think that more vaccine is coming to our community um, and, and we know that we have a lot of brown faces in this community and so I think that if there's interest, if there are ways to get our sisters and brothers vaccinated, I want to make sure that we don't establish another round of health disparities in our community uh, by missing out on the opportunity to vaccinate uh, folks, of, folks of color in our area. And so I look forward to partnering with some of our, our, our black community organizations, our churches, um, to just provide education, to seek input about um, if there's interest in the vaccine and how do we make sure that we're reaching those communities because um, I just haven't seen those faces reflected uh, in those long lines at the hospital. We certainly appreciate you. We're out of time though so we'll get you back and we'll, with that we're going to take a quick break. You guys stick with us on the Sunday show. The Sunday show will continue with Philip O'Donnell and LaMoya Burks brought to you by State Farm Agent Derek McGarry on Texarkana's 104.7 KTOY. If there's one thing 2020 has shown us is that life can take a turn without notice and through it all we want you to know we are still here to help you just as we've always been. If you need to review your coverage or just need some advice from people you know and trust, we will always be here to help. After all, isn't that what you'd expect from a good neighbor? This is State Farm Agent Derek McGarry. Please call us at 903-831-2000 or visit us at DerekIsMyAgent.com. Hey, I'm here to tell you, you don't need a college degree for a great job. With MedCert's online certification training, you're on your way to a job with good pay, benefits, and stability in the fastest growing industry, healthcare. MedCert's is 100% online, self-guided learning that will have you job ready with nationally recognized credentials in just four to six months. No multi year programs with classes that dominate your daily schedule and leave you drowning in debt. MedCert lets you set your learning schedule and makes it easy to learn with instructor-led videos, interactive simulations, and a dedicated success coach. Get on your way to earning more money, stability, benefits, and a career you can be proud of right now. And when you enroll today, MedCert will give you a free Chromebook to get started at MedCert.com radio. Join the over 25,000 MedCert graduates who have been hired by employers across the country right now. Get started Started on your new career with the free Chromebook at medcerts.com slash radio. Spelled M-E-D-C-E-R-T-S dot com slash radio.